welcome back to the Valley to Peak Nutrition Podcast. This week, we're covering a listener question, but it's a little bit different. Lindsay and I usually sit down, we go over a couple of questions to you know answer over one big recording. This was that, but I ended up splitting this one apart from the other questions in the group because it ended up having so many great things to it. So the original question was based off of something called REDS, R-E-D-S. And this is a clinical symptom that shows itself when someone has a lot of volume for exercise and training, really little intake, and when your, ba- when your body basically starts resisting that. It manifests a number of symptoms. There's, a multiple, uh, there's multiple different ways to approach it in terms of fixing it. And so we started to go off into that and did go off into that. Out of that emerged several other topics that I think are relevant to really everyone. And that's the thing that I love so much about this episode is I truly feel like there's something in it for everyone. So we did talk about that. We talked about training. We talked about how to fix it and how to judge how much nutrition you should be having based off of training volumes. But then we also got into weight. What exactly is a healthy weight? Should we trust the ideal body weight? Should we trust the BMI charts? And if not, what's a better thing to trust and measure? And then we venture off a little bit too into this new idea on social media where looking at weight is a bad thing in general. This has emerged over the last couple of years where people are starting to say things like, oh, well, it really doesn't matter what size you are, you're healthy if you feel like you're healthy. And while there's truth in that, and there has been a history of too much focus on weight, I'm the perfect example. I weighed 270 pounds, which was not good for me. I needed to do something about that. So where are the lines in that? We look at that. We look at a number of different topics. And so whether you're into training, whether you're into the mountains in general, whether you're into or trying to change your weight, be it up or down or whatever, or whether you're wondering, look, I don't, should I, my doctor said I should change it. Do I need to? I feel like there is something in this episode for everyone. So sit back, enjoy it. If you have any questions after you listen to it, please don't hesitate to send us an email, info at v2pnutrition.com, and we would be more than glad to respond and help you in any way that we can. So here's Lindsay and I going over REDS, healthy body weight, and really just about every other topic that you could think of as it pertains to this. All right, next question. This person said, I recently heard about something called REDS or energy deficiency. Can you explain what that is and what to pay attention to? Yeah, I um, really liked this question for a lot of different reasons. This is so years ago when I was first studying to be an RD, this was like a paragraph in the textbook and pretty much glossed over. Nobody really focused in on it. And I'll share a little bit of my own personal experience because this is actually really relative to my own weight loss. And even as a, as a part of that, there was a study done quite a long time ago called the Minnesota Starvation Study that highlighted a lot of this too. But REDS, which is R-E-D-S, is an acronym that stands for Relative Energy Deficiency in Sports. And so really what it's saying in that complex title is you're not getting enough calories based on the amount of energy that you're expending. And we used to call it the quote, female athlete triad. And it was called the triad because there were three main symptoms that characterized this. And if you're, if you're a, if you're a male, don't tune out because it can affect men. 
But one of the highlights, one of the features of it is young women would be so active, they would lose their menstrual cycle because they weren't getting enough calories to fuel the workouts plus normal daily needs. The body's going to put what it considers secondary processes on hold for the sake of the energy demand. And so it's characterized by loss of menstrual, uh, loss of menstruation in women, weak bones, and low calorie intake. So that was why it was called the triad initially. You may get to this, but can you know I I knew of a gymnast who as a young person, she was very active in gymnastics. Menstruation started much later than it typically would have had she not been active. As soon as she got out of gymnastics, it started the whole deal. But I also have known of of people who they had long-term effects or they assumed they did. I was told I have long-term effects from this. Have you heard of it being both dependent on just right now and have you heard of it being a permanent change to the body? That's a good question. And my experience is this. If that's the case, like someone had experienced this and it continues, meaning they never regain a lot of their normal, whatever, any of those things, right? Normal energy function, etc. It's because they are perpetuating the habits. In other words, they're still not fueling well, etc. And I, I say that because part two of that, a secondary experience, and you know, I've seen this clinically working, uh, even when I was working at the hospital with athletes, when you fix the issue, which is either a combination of really increasing calories, really backing off training, or both, all of those things resume. All of those, all of those problems go away. Depending on like how bad it really is, how deep it is, how long it's lasted, will usually depend on, okay, you just need to eat more calories, or you need to also back off in training because you're, you know, you're in a pretty rough spot. So it can definitely go away, but the habits do have to change. It's particularly close to me because when I was losing weight, didn't know anything about you know nutrition at the time when I actually lost weight. I didn't go back to school until after I'd already lost weight and experienced all of these you know interesting symptoms or whatever. So when I was losing weight, I at my lowest intake was exercising a lot, eating really low in calories, and just really didn't know what I was doing. I was so thrilled by the progress that frankly I didn't care in the moment. And I found myself at the deepest intake and at my lowest weight, like having weird things happen. For example, I would compile recipes that sounded good to me, but would never eat, put them all in a shoebox. I would drive home at the end of the day um, after work or after school or whatever, be in my driveway and just lay my head back in the car and sleep because I was so exhausted. So I'd I sit there and I would sleep for a little bit and then I would get up and I would go inside, maybe try to cook dinner, rinse and repeat, go lay down again. I would, it would be the middle of summer. I mean, smoking hot outside, Southern Indiana, extremely humid and windows up in the car, no AC, cold, right? Just these, I'd lose hair when I was washing it, just all of these really bizarre symptoms. And I started looking into it because I felt like this... <laughs> probably in good, right? And noticed that there was a there was a study done on young men called the Minnesota Starvation Study. And it was done a long time ago. I don't recall the year. I can look it up, put it in the show notes or something. But basically what they did is they had a certain number of men volunteer to do exercise during the day 
and you know not not like super intense but long duration and really vol- really really restrict their calories voluntarily and they observed all of these things guys started compiling recipes they would dream about food they had zero could care less about sex drive sex drive and you know the desire to be sexual or whatever totally went away um and at, whenever these men were in this low this low calorie state and high exercise and so then they brought they intentionally brought them out of that and a lot of it went away but it's it's always been classified as a quote you know like women's only issue because of the triad and obviously the loss of menstruation is unique only to women but men can definitely have this too and so you're talking about all the clinical symptoms but even if you're not experiencing that from performance end of things you're looking at like terrible recovery you're looking at the inability to get through workouts or to complete a weekly training volume constant energies your loss you're always sick there's all of these problems that really go against all of your performance goals and so even now like training for the death hike doing the amount of volume that i'm doing I've really had to let go of my concern of weight and just eat to my appetite, which is absolutely raging um, right now. And, you know, weight, my weight is up a little bit, but I'm recovering really well. I'm absorbing the volume well. And it sort of, it led me, like even in working with Valley to Peak patients or clients, it really led me to develop this idea of a triangle, which is like, you really can only focus on one thing at a time if you're trying to pursue it good management of weight increase in performance or you know or another one that's totally different topic you 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 can't have like you can't you can't have a heavy focus on weight and be afraid to eat more because you won't recover well what are each of the points of that triangle that you refer to yeah so one point would be weight loss one point of the triangle would be weight maintenance or management and then the other would be geared more towards performance and the reason that they're they're separate is the nutrition strategy for all three are different so like your nutrition strategy for weight management and maintenance would look one way for weight loss it would look another and to really put your body in a position to have the fuel that it needs to actively build endurance or actively put on muscle would look totally different too. So you can certainly strike a balance of all three, but you could never excel in any of them without really just driving towards that, if that makes sense. So if people start to notice some of these symptoms, like, hey, I have decreased muscle strength, or I feel foggy at the end of the day, or... I can't, you know, perform as well as I wanted to in a sprint or something like that. How do they know this is kind of the way they're headed and, oh, I just had an off day? Like, if someone came to you with these issues, when would you start to show concern that they are maybe needing, if that is their goal, to make a change toward a healthier, it's a healthier all around, you know, mentally, physically, all of that, a healthier way of being, I guess, living? Yeah, that's a good question. We, so... I think you have to you have to look at the full picture. For example, like in our in our weekly check-in sheets with people, we ask, "How was your rest and recovery? How was your performance? How was your overall training? How was your nutrition, etc." If you go through that and you look like, "Okay, well, I, sl- I we've got a new toddler or a new puppy. I slept three hours every night. 
I wasn't able to eat four of my meals at work because I was on a Zoom call. I missed three training sessions and I feel exhausted. I'm not going to first be like, oh, that's red. It's time to eat more. <laughs> now, if if over a period of weeks, a person's like, okay, my training volumes have all increased. I've had no appetite as a result of that, which is very common in endurance community uh, where you increase your volumes and your appetite doesn't follow because you've got a lot of blood going to the legs to recover as opposed to the gut for digestion. So people always talk about having a loss of appetite. And I'm noticing that I'm really, I'm unable to recover from my training volumes. I'm getting slower and you're just noticing that you're not able to get over this hump. And you check that against the fact of asking, have I increased my intake while simultaneously increasing my volume? If the answer to that is no, then it's definitely worth looking at. Now, what does get hard and really one of the things that I'm trying to pay attention to is you could very well be getting injured or you could very well be being unable to recover, not because you're not eating enough, but because you didn't know how to write a training plan, right? You're, 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 you're expecting way too much in way too small of a time. And so you can't recover well. Well, that's there's no nutrition plan on the planet that's going to fix that. You need a better training plan, right? So you really have to evaluate everything on the, you know, from a from a thirty foot view before saying like, oh, you're not recovering. You're getting sick all the time. This is red. Start eating more. Just considering some of the, you know, we watch a lot of shows, often about hunting, but about people that have tried to really hone in and perfect one aspect of it, whether it's here's how you train or here's how you eat or here's how you pack your pack or here's the right gear to have. We watch a lot of shows, videos, read a lot about people that have perfected the art of some part of this. I could see many of those people or solid athletes that I know saying, I'm going to screw with this a bit because it helps in the moment. Like, you know, overall training, I might be lower, but I need to eat this certain way to like really nail it in that race. Or for this one hike, I'm going to do this. Have you seen, or would there be a reason for someone to, I don't want to say manipulate in a tricky way, but kind of manipulate this to make their body do what they want to do? Is there a benefit to kind of starving yourself and then fueling a certain way for a race? You know, I mean, all these things we watch are very, I think nuanced is the right term, are very carefully crafted. Is there a way that people, athletes, will try to have optimal performance somehow? Yeah. So you used an example of something that we're both familiar with in which they're not uh, individuals aren't necessarily quote starving themselves but are very apprehensive because of their weight to eat more to you know to potentially fuel that is there an advantage to that absolutely not um in fact and and my view has changed on this big time i would make the argument that you'd be better off to weigh more fuel yourself and smash some prs than to try to maintain a lower weight and and try to skimp on your nutrition for the sake of either you know like the the big thing in the big thing in a lot of training is the lighter i weigh the easier it's going to be on my joints so i'm really apprehensive to gain any weight and so you usually have people very resistant to eat what they need so here i'll give you an idea my normal daily intake somewhere around 2000 calories increasing the training recently 3600 that you know that's a lot of food and 
it, I mean, that's almost double what I traditionally eat. Was there some apprehension? I wouldn't say there was apprehension just because I'm familiar with what happens, but I was, I mean, for sure, you're kind of like, man, I, you know, hope this pans out okay, right? And then I think the other side of that coin and what you will see people do inadvertently, or maybe we'll call it accidentally, is they're under the premise that if I improve the quality of my diet, my running's going to get better. They'll then identify or define the quality of their diet by eating more fruits, more vegetables, leaner proteins, all great choices. The problem is the energy demand is much higher the caloric demand is much higher to recover. You're eating very low calorie foods. So though I applaud the effort to change the quality, there's not near enough energy in what you're eating to actually benefit you. You know, like, so you think about a guy like Michael Phelps a number of years ago, he was in the Olympics, big article came out. Here's what Michael Phelps eats in a day. It's waffles, it's mac and cheese, it's pizza, it's all of this. And you get people making comments like, Oh, well, you can't put, you know, unleaded gasoline in a Lamborghini and expect it to feel. It's the only way he could meet the caloric demand for his training. And so there are times where you need to be eating things that are very high in calories simply to meet a baseline demand. Have you ever seen, or is it common for people who I would maybe categorize as, I think we're picturing people who are skinny or thin or super athletic dealing with this when they get like to the the lowest that they should be and you know i've seen pictures of you when you reference times that you dealt with this there's pictures of you and you look unhealthy more of it was very clear that you were underweight for your body and then there's just by gaining an appropriate amount of weight you're like okay you look healthy you notice a change in all of these areas my question is is it just for people who are underweight or could some people who are in the process of losing weight and maybe just do it really drastic, dramatically experience this as well? That's a really good question. And so if you have, if you have someone, and this is, this is, this is very objective, right? Like, so when I'm, when I'm going through this, this is not me being critical of people being overweight. This is literally textbook clinical numerical data that's taken from studies you find that it doesn't happen that often in people who are above their ideal weight right like so the the heavier a person is the more over an ideal weight that a person is the less likely it is to happen because there's so much excess energy surplus that it will naturally start to break that down and continue to do what it needs to do from a fueling standpoint. Now, you take myself, for example, I just described all of these issues that I had had. Those did not start to present themselves until I was at my lowest weight, right? I didn't have a lot of that when I was initially trying to lose weight because there was so much there to go. I mean, there's 140 pounds that, you know, that left. For people, I think the people that are at greatest risk are, like you had described, people who, where there maybe there isn't a lot and like okay so i use the, the phrasing your ideal body weight ideal body weight it will traditionally fall on a range and a chart so it's not necessarily that that i'm describing when i talk about ideal body weight it's the weight that a person feels like they feel the most comfortable at like for not everyone but for some people 
they have previously been at a weight they felt really great at. They've gone above that weight. Their desire is to get back to that. Now, for me, I'm I, and there's a lot of people that fall in this category, which is why I'll choose myself as an example. They may have never spent any time any time in their life at a weight that felt comfortable. I mean, prior to, prior to losing weight, I couldn't have told you what a comfortable weight is. All I knew was heavy, you know. So, in the process of losing weight, like, and this is probably a cultural message: you just want to keep going thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner. And thinner. So that's essentially what I did until I found myself, you know, basically 15 to 20 pounds lighter than I am now, unable to do anything. I mean, literally unable to walk into my house. And I thankfully had the sense of mind to think, okay, well, this is not a way that I want to live either. And so I started, you know, I started steadily eating more and more and more and more and more until I felt really good. This might be a question for a whole other podcast, but because it did come up this week, a bit of a backstory, I had asked a question about, you know, what percentage of the population do you believe is overweight? And you said, well, you can't really, you can't really like categorize people as like overweight or healthy weight. Like it doesn't quite work like that. Yes. If you use a BMI chart, there's views on that. You know, I get like, that'll categorize you as one or the other. But I had, I said, well, I base that off of what someone looks like, whether they look overweight or look underweight. And you made a very good point saying that you can't just use that. You can't just use this view of what, like you said, culture has categorized as over or healthy weight or underweight. You have to, you categorize a healthy weight as a few things. I think people were, were probably surprised to hear you say, well, it's a weight that you feel comfortable with, not what the chart says. What would you say are those things that mean I'm at a healthy weight for me? I would say the most common question people ask me once they are in the program is, what do you think I should weigh? Because there's always, like, when we sit down and start someone in a program, we always establish what do you want? If otherwise, it's so ambiguous. We're just going about week to week improving habits, and there's no goal, and that's just completely pointless, right? My comment to them is always this there's, there's two things that are going to be a measurement in my mind of what your healthy weight is. Number one, it's going to be the weight that allows you to do the things that you like to do at the pace or the rate you like to do them at. So if you love hiking, but you feel slow as a turtle and you're attributing that to your weight, you could make the argument that you should be lighter. But if you love hiking and you're 30 pounds overweight, but you smoke your buddy up the hill, who's to say that you're overweight, <laughs> right? Who's to say that another 30 pounds is going to get you anything more I don't know, like the ability to say a number on a scale. And I will tell you this too, personal experience in my own weight loss. And I've talked about this before. My leanest weight, I quote, looked the best. No one cared but me. And as soon as I realized that, I was like, this is stupid. Like I would rather live, I'd rather live a normal life. So that's one, the weight that allows you to do the things that you love to do at the rate or the pace or the intensity you like to do them at. The second thing would be a weight that doesn't cause or perpetuate any type of chronic disease. And so what that means is, okay, you may be able to smoke your buddy up the hill. You may be able to hike all day long, day after day, as long as you want, but your weight is causing an uncontrolled diabetic state that's going to cause premature death. That's a problem. 
right? Same if it's causing heart disease, same if it's causing insert any other chronic illness. But if your weight is not causing a chronic disease or perpetuating one or making you unhealthy, right? From a clinical standpoint, meaning there's literally, there's literally lab data that says you've got a problem here and you're able to do everything you love to do. There's not a chart on the planet that could convince me you're better off to go try to lose 20 pounds because the reality is, is like, that's not going to offer you a better life necessarily. You're going to be able to say on your license, yeah, I actually weigh what I said I weighed 20 years ago now, but that, that's, that, doesn't, that doesn't provide anything. For me, being 270 and losing 140 pounds literally offered me a new life. I mean, I would not be able to do a even small fraction of the things that I can now weighing that. And I'm not any sort of elite level athlete by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I literally couldn't hardly move at 270. So it, it did, it offered me a whole new life. Now contrast that with what I weigh now, let's call it 145, 150 pounds. Being this, being 130, which was my lightest weight, did not offer me anything, nothing at all. And in fact, I would argue that weighing heavier offers me a lot more than it did even being lighter. So yeah, the, the whole ideal body weight, what should I weigh, what's a healthy weight is very, very arbitrary and ambiguous and can really only be defined by the individual, I think. The idea of those two things, whether or not you can do what you want to do at the pace and rate you want to do it. And as long as you don't have, you're not causing, you know, worse health. I guess that's my simple way of saying it. But what about when this goes the other way? You know, we think of diabetes and um, inability to exercise because of, you know, extra weight and things like that. I think we all tend to think that end of the spectrum of gaining, but thinking about this reds stuff, if people get to a point where they're unable to do certain things because of this, are there long-term effects to that? I mean, there are in the moment, right? You couldn't walk into your house, you were losing hair, you couldn't think straight, you know, we see all these things. So we obviously know there are detrimental parts of losing too much or being underweight, but are there long-term effects to reds like there are to, to being no obese there's not if you take the steps necessary to come out of it if you don't then yes of course there is i mean so if you will take like a a young woman or a lot a young man one of the primary um indicators or one of the primary symptoms that present themselves is complete loss of sex drive as well as hormonal imbalance usually goes along with that so if they're unwilling or they're, they're unaware enough to make the change to bring their body out of that state of extreme calorie deficit, but they desire to have a family, yeah, absolutely. There's some long-term effects there that could affect that decision. Now, let's say that you have a young woman or a young man who sees a clinician or a dietitian or whatever early on and they get help and they come out of that into their you know let's say that they're 18 you know college freshman runner they do the work and they come out of that and so by the time they're 25 the negative side effects from that are gone 
if they've taken the steps to fix it, right? I mean, in fact, I remember very specifically a young high school athlete that I worked with at the hospital showed up, started telling me all of her problems. I knew immediately what it was and told her, look, here's some steps that you need to take to start to fix this. Go try to apply these and come back. It'll either be fixed or it won't. She went and applied them. First sign that came back was her menstrual cycle started again. So, I mean, the body is very willing to help and very ready and craving to help, right? But I would I would say, I would argue that the hardest thing that I have found is convincing the person that's what they need to do. Convincing them, look, you need to eat more and you don't need to just eat a little more. You need to eat a lot more. And there might be a period of time in here where you need to either stop training or really back off of the volume for a while because you're you're in such a need of of a of a recovery state that you will not be able to pull out of this unless your body senses that there is a, a enough energy present to to allow normal functions to resume now you can in the future go back into training and you need to look at things different you need to you know be more strategic with the nutrition but for this season you need to increase your intake by a lot and potentially even reduce the amount of training that you're doing. Yeah, I don't, I, so you, you just asked me, are there long-term side effects? The long-term, like she's, well, I, I mean, I guess if the, if the issue's bad enough, you're talking about dying, right? I mean, that is what an eating disorder is. That's an extreme example though, right? Is, the eating disorders is is usually what happens is, right? They they decrease nutrition so much they begin to get a lot of electrolyte imbalances, imbalances, and heart issues start to pop up. In fact, I remember working inpatient, we would get some folks who had eating disorders get admitted into the hospital, and you have to you would think, okay, we'll get them in there and start pushing a ton of food and start pushing a ton of calories, get them out of the state. That's the last thing you want to do. You want to slowly increase their nutrition. Otherwise, so much volume comes that you can get something called refeeding syndrome, especially if you're feeding them through a tube or an IV. But yeah, I mean, on the absolute worst end of the spectrum, you're looking at something like that. If you find a middle row, you're looking at this person still continuing to get sick all of the time, being unable to increase um, their weekly mileage or their their total exercise volume. You're looking at still loss of menstruation as well as anything related to you know normal ho- hormone function as well as childbirth and 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 those type of things. And you know, there's like there's always this underlying surface irritability, depression. true hangry like when you're in it that long you just think like oh it's character this is me i'm frustrated like my kids frustrate me i wanted to run today and i was out the door late so i'm frustrated those things might be true but at the same time there's a level of irritability because there simply is not enough energy getting there that that really compounds things this all saying also may be opening up a huge can but i'm guessing that people listening i mean some may be relating to this but there's a good chance that all of us have been like that's kind of like so and so or i know a friend you know and i do i mean i have people that i think oh, i wonder if that's kind of what they're dealing with not out of a judgmental standpoint but out of a concerned place if you notice this in someone else, whether it's a close friend or family member that you are in relationship with them to the point that it could be, 
is it appropriate to bring that up? If so, like, how could someone have said that to you? Could they have said anything? Yeah, so I'll answer that in two ways. One, I was so entrenched in the process and like for the first time in my life started seeing not just progress, but like really tangible, meaningful progress. Frankly, I think I was so blinded by the success that I didn't care. You could have told me, I'd be like, I don't care. This is worth it. I spent 25 years wondering if I had any bones. And now that I can actually see bones, I don't care what you say, I'm staying in it. Now, the flip side of that is if you do see someone and assuming that the relationship with that person's strong enough that they're open to even hearing what you have to say, you and I have talked about this a ton in approaching just people about a variety of topics. I think the absolute best thing that you could do would be to ask questions. Right. So, hey, you've mentioned before that you're, you've noticed you haven't felt well. You can't recover very good. You're sick all the time. I was listening to this podcast. Do you think that maybe that's what's going on? Do you feel like that you've, you've tried to eat enough? Do you feel like you're eating? Do you feel like you're eating enough? I think it's important to, to, to point out too, like sometimes it's not intentional. We're not saying like every person who gets this is intentionally trying to, Uh, keep their calories low because they're afraid of their weight. Sometimes it's a busy mom who just literally doesn't take time for lunch often enough. And so she doesn't get enough calories in, right? And she's not recovering well, or he's working at the office and he's on Zoom calls and he misses lunch. I hear this all the time. Like before I knew it, it was five. I hadn't eaten anything all day. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, you do have to be somewhat intentional. I mean, especially when training, if you want to achieve some sort of pinnacle event or whatever that really requires a lot of you out of training, you're going to have to pay closer attention to your nutrition to really reach that. You're not going to just be able to wing it. You just won't. You can get by with a lot of training just winging it, but to really continue to climb and build volume, you'll have to pay attention to to that part of it. But yeah, I, you know, I, I've never been a big fan of... <laughs> I've never been a big fan of the intervention, right? Like, hey, hey, you want to get coffee? She shows this 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 person shows up to the coffee shop, or you're with a buddy, you go get a burger. You're like, I need to talk to you about something. Do you have reds? I'm really worried about you. Like, I just don't see that going well, and I don't. I see like I know my friends, and I see my friends being like, "Who are you, man?" Whereas I just have never found it to end bad by asking a question like hey you were you'd the chances are this person if you're thinking of them has mentioned something at some point where you could you could play off of that and be like hey you'd mentioned this i was listening to this podcast and it made me think of you do you think that like do you think that's you do you think that this would help and you know seeing what they say and at the end of the day they're like no not me then I guess, decide whether or not the friendship's worth it to keep going. I know part of the acronym, the S is in sports or in, you know, sport activities. When you said the thing about maybe it's a busy mom that went for a run and didn't have time to eat breakfast. Can this happen to people who maybe aren't athletes and training and whatnot? Is this any different than someone just not eating enough to fuel their body for daily activity? Like, can you experience this on accident by being a very busy person, maybe people that 
travel or like people that don't have a consistent schedule where they do eat, you know, balanced meals at a certain time, can this just happen? I mean, I suppose anything can low likelihood be, you know, the S is a key thing, the sport, because you're going to find it really hard to create that big of a deficit on any consistent basis just by not really eating enough. What's more likely to happen in the situation with a busy person, whether it's like a, you know, a career focused guy or a busy mom or a career focused girl, whatever, is after a couple of days of doing that, they're going to be so hungry that they will undo that large deficit. The whole sport thing is that you've got, you've got a combination of huge expenditure through training huge deficit through not eating enough. And so not only are you creating this discrepancy between energy need and what's actually coming in, but you're adding in the stress of training, right? Which is like a hormonal thing that you can't really mimic. Now, I suppose somebody's probably screaming at their their radio or their phone saying like, well, stress is stress is stress, whether it's from training or a heavy workload as a CEO of a business or whatever. And to some degree, that's true. So yes, I guess in some scenario, you could have it be unrelated to the S, but I would say it's a very low likelihood. So you got all right. That's another episode of the Valley to Peak Nutrition Podcast. We appreciate you guys joining us. If you've got any questions you want us to cover, we love doing them at 9.53 p.m. after our kids are in bed. You can send those to info at v2pnutrition.com and we will uh, make our way through all of those. Uh, thank you for listening this week. Like I said at the beginning in the intro, a number of topics were covered, some of which might be confusing. You might be wondering, look, do I fall into any of these categories? And if so, send me an email. I'd be glad to help talk through these things with you. Join us again in a couple of weeks for more episodes. We've got a bunch of stuff still planned for the year. So stay tuned. Hit subscribe if you like the episodes, if you want to put them into your rotation. As summer gets closer, we'll start talking more about tactical things that you can do as you start to spend more and more time outdoors uh, and then as well for training covering the death hike this year there's a lot of, of stuff to come so if you don't want to miss miss an episode just hit subscribe it should automatically go into your feed and you will not miss one we'll see you again in a couple of weeks have a great week everybody